Welcome into another edition of Designated for Assignment. Josh Robo here for another week. And uh, the Blue Jays are back from the All-Star break. And lo and behold, uh, they're playing better baseball. You know, it wasn't exactly uh, what you would have necessarily wanted to see from an offensive standpoint. But, you know, they did enough. They scored a bunch of runs late in games that were close, tacked a bunch on. Um, you know, especially Sunday when it's a one-run game, Jordan Romano's uh, not available. They make it a five-run lead as opposed to a one-run lead. And, you know, we'll get to Mitch White and the situation there. But uh, the offense did more than enough. And, you know, I- I've talked about this and tweeted about it. Uh, the last two editions of the Blue Jays after the All-Star break, the unofficial midway point of the season, have had winning percentages of above 600. Uh, in each of the last two years and about the last 60 some odd games, 60 to 70 games, let's say. Uh, so I don't know what it is. It, it probably means that they underperformed relatively speaking, because, you know, if you played closer to that level over the course of a full season, you'd be winning the division or uh, certainly being right in the thick of things in the division. And, you know, like after sweeping, they're not, technically that far back in the division at this point they've cut the gap they're only six games back of the Rays. uh the orioles are one game back of the Rays. uh the orioles just continue to find ways to win even games they're trailing they come back and win but uh blue jays have a full three game lead on boston and the yankees and they're a game and a half up as i'm recording this on sunday night the astros and the angels they're a game and a half maybe they'll be two up on the angels or rather the astros if the angels win or they'll be a game and a half up if the astros do beat the angels so the jays are 53 and 41 they finally got uh, 10 games above 500 there's a lot to like about the weekend that was way more to like than not like. Obviously, um, the Kevin Gosman injury is, or whatever you want to call it, the Kevin Gosman unfortunateness with his uh, side discomfort sounds like not a serious thing, a day-to-day situation. Hopefully, he pitches during the Padres series. But I think it just illustrates how perilous the rotation situation is if one of their guys was to get hurt, especially one of him bassett or barrios you know that really puts a lot on i know a lot of people are really excited and optimistic about alec manoa's start against the tigers and about hyunjin ryu looking really good in his most recent rehab start with the bisons five innings one run i think he had five strikeouts i still am more inclined to temper that i i need to see more obviously from manoa than a really good start which it was we talked about it last week uh, against the Tigers. I need more. He's probably going to get a start against the Padres. And yes, say what you want about the Padres. That's still a lineup and players capable of punishing you if you're not good. So he's going to have to more likely than not be at his best or close to his best, whatever that looks like these days, uh, to get a team like that out. So I still look at the rotation as an area that you would probably look at. I don't think it's the number one priority. It might not even be the number two priority. I think it probably is, but I still don't think it's something that a lot of people tell me that, oh, well, you'll have so many options in the rotation. You already have two guys back there. You could roll a six-man rotation. As we saw on Sunday with Yusei Kikuchi, he's just not 
right now somebody that you can rely on for more than five innings, which isn't the worst case scenario for a number five starter. He was not very good against the Diamondbacks and his command was really bad. It was shades of 2022, but unlike 2022, it didn't completely unravel. He did enough to keep it on the rails and allow the Blue Jays to stay in the game uh, and and tie it up and not lose the lead. And then he leaves in the fifth and then they immediately take the lead um, and didn't look back from there. So I, I just think that the more the merrier when it comes to pitching, you can never have too many options um, down the stretch. It all is dependent on acquisition cost and, you know, how much are certain guys going to cost and how much are you prepared to spend um, on, on certain guys. But I, I look at that, the Gosman injury just really, I think highlighted what I already thought was going to be an area that they were going to look to address or, or maybe should look to address. And uh, I haven't really changed that position. And, you know, I, I I've thought about this and, we're two or so weeks. I think we're 16 days away from the deadline of August the 1st. And I don't think that the Blue Jays are going to do nothing. And we'll see what happens over the next two weeks to maybe determine what they do or don't do in terms of their positioning and the standings. But, you know, all the calls for selling as little as like two weeks ago, that was never going to happen, barring something catastrophic, like I've said. And that hasn't happened. You know, they've won eight of nine. They're playing as good as they've played all season long, really. And that's not necessarily saying that much because as it's been well-documented. It's been a very odd season, but they're firmly in the playoff picture and they've cut into the deficit in the division. You're going to make an honest run at this and they're going to look to make acquisitions. I just really, truly wonder what they look to do because like there was a rumor um, from somebody in Chicago that I, what, what was the exact quote? I think it was, it was more than just um, like that they were, yeah, the blue, the Toronto blue Jays are showing strong interest in trading for Chicago Cubs starting pitcher, Marcus Stroman. And that's from Bruce Levine, who is a, a baseball analyst for a radio station in Chicago. So he's clearly plugged in. I, I'm not saying that that's not true. I have no reason to to doubt his sources or his connections or what have you. I just really struggle to see that. Um, you know, the Blue Jays are in a position where they don't really have an overflowing kind of a drawer of assets. They have assets. They can make deals. It's not as if their farm system is completely barren. It's thinned out, no question, over the last couple of years with the deals that have been made. Um, I'm sure they could make a deal for Marcus Stroman if they really wanted to. But if they were going to really allocate the capital that they have, the remaining prospect capital that they have to make a deal, I just don't think Marcus Stroman really is what they're going to look to do. Even if you identify that they should be looking for starting pitching, I, I don't think that they're looking for that level of impact. And especially because of a rental, like if he was, there was some control, I might feel a little bit differently about it, but as a rental, you know, you're probably talking about two or three legit prospects realistically, even for a rental. I just don't see them doing that. Um, They've never really been ones to make deals at that level for rentals. You know, if they're going to make, a legitimate impactful trade. It's probably going to be 
Yeah, the Whit Merrifield trade isn't exactly what I'm talking about, but that's more in the mold. They're going to look for some somebody that can help them this year and in the next couple of years with the window to win being um, what it is. So maybe that happens. I, I don't know. The Marcus Stroman situation did not end well uh, here in Toronto. I think there was some animus between the two sides. Uh, he's made no secret. You know, like There have been barbs here and there about without naming names, you know, but the front office in Toronto, pay this guy, pay that guy, that sort of thing. Um, if you were going to pick somebody from Chicago, I'd probably say Cody Bellinger makes more sense. He's going to cost a lot and is also a rental because he's having a great year. You know, he's not a lefty, you know, he's not the prototypical lefty killer in terms of left-handed pitching, but his numbers against lefties this year have been incredible. I don't know how sustainable it is in terms of some of his batter ball profiles. Somewhat, you know, there's a, an element of he's probably just maxing out his production based on how he's hitting the ball. But that would make more sense. If Drew Smiley, I think, would honestly make some sense in terms of that type of swing guy because let's get to it. Uh, Mitch White, I, I just don't really see what, you're going to be able to do there moving forward. If you're in a roster crunch, I don't think you can continue to say, well, we need to give Mitch White a chance. And I I, I haven't been on the, the train of get rid of Mitch White, but he needed to have shown some level of progress. And before the outing on Sunday, the numbers were not terrible since he had come back up here, but you get thrown into a five run game in in the ninth inning. Um, and you don't give up any hits, but you allow uh, a situation to arise where the Diamondbacks can get back in the ball game because you had zero command. That's just not going to get it done. You're not being asked to pitch in an important spot. And he gave up uh, three walks. He did get a strikeout, but he allowed all three inherited runs uh, to score. Swanson gave up the double uh, to Cattell Marte that cleared the bases. You just have to throw strikes. You have to, you can't, I, I'm okay if you throw it over the plate and you throw your best stuff and opposing hitters hit it. I can live with that more than I can live with just having no feel for anything and not being remotely close to being in the zone or, or throwing anything effective. And you know, the Blue Jays are going to probably find themselves, they're going to need some 40 man roster spots because they're going to make deals. Uh, we'll see what happens with Adam Simber. Um, I'd rather have Adam Simber than than Mitch White as your lowest leverage reliever. Jay Jackson has an option. So I think realistically, he is more likely to go. If if right now, like Jay Jackson should stay up. He's been really good and his slider solid when he has command of it. But he has an option. Mitch White doesn't. That, that I'm not saying it's the right move, but you know, until there's a situation where they can't play that game because uh, they're not optioning any of their other relievers who have options left, um, I think you got to let him go. Maybe work out a deal if somebody feels as though there's um, they can see something the way that the Blue Jays did this time last year in Mitch White. By all means, go for it and, and see if you can get some sort of a return, any sort of an asset in exchange for Mitch White. But if you're looking to clear up uh, some roster space and Hyunjin Ryu and Chad Green, when they're back are going to need roster spots because they're not 
um, currently on the 40 man because they were on the 60 day IL. That's two roster spots right there. You're talking about other deals that are going to need to be made. Maybe some other, like Ernie Clement, I think is not long for this roster. I could see a situation, Thomas Hatch, Trent Thornton. Those are guys that I think uh, have maybe more tenuous standing places in this organization if need be, if you need to clear some space. But I think that Mitch White should feel uncertain and uh, insecure about his future here with the Blue Jays, because I think to some extent the writing is on the wall uh, about where he stands moving forward. You you can't handle mop-up duty in a five-run game. Then you can't be trusted in any situation. And if you can't be trusted in that situation, then you're not, you're just dead weight on the roster really. And and I think that that's sort of where we've come and uh, where we've landed. And like you look at the positives from the weekend, uh, Matt Chapman has found it a little bit again at the plate. He's been really good defensively. Um, I know that there's been a lot of talk about his struggles at the plate. You look at his last seven games uh really good even his last 15 games he's got an 861 ops his strikeout to walk ratio has been better his last seven games he's got seven walks only three strikeouts a lot of better at bats he's been really good defensively outs above average he's been up over the 90th percentile last i checked he was third among third basemen in all of major league baseball and defensive run saved he's going to be in the conversation realistically um, for a gold glove, I think, again, in the American League. And hopefully he can continue to have some some positive momentum moving forward at the plate, because if he has a good, strong close uh, on both sides of the ball, then he's going to reposition himself. If he's lost any sort of luster in, in terms of how teams might view him, I doubt that's the case, but he'll really solidify where he is uh, in terms of his impending free agency. Vladdy had some good moments, hit a home run, first uh, ever player to hit a home run after winning the home run derby in their first at bat following the all-star break, hit a bunch of balls hard in that game. Didn't have as great of a close to the series, but uh, hopefully we see more of that. The last couple of weeks have been very solid uh, from him. No question. A lot of positive stuff has, uh, has emerged over the last two, three weeks, and the Blue Jays uh, are certainly going to need it. And I I did really want to look at the catching situation because Sunday was a real microcosm of where the two catchers on the Blue Jays roster currently are. Danny Jansen breaks the game open in the eighth inning with a bases-clearing double, had another hit. Uh, You look at his numbers. He has 752 OPS. Uh, 11 homers. He's sitting 233. Yeah, his on-base percentage is what it is. He's not going to walk a ton. But I think he's really embraced what makes him effective at the plate. Like there's, There was a point he was trying to use the whole field. I don't need that. Uh, and I think he knows that. He's a pull hitter. He get the hands in, try and drive the ball. And he's done a pretty good job of that. He's kind of cooled off a little bit in terms of the home run uh, production as of late. But he's had a lot of good at-bats. He's struck out only two times in his last 21 at-bats. A lot of good stuff from Danny Jansen. We saw defensively the the back pick tag play with Vladdy to get, I think it was Jake McCarthy when the game was still very much in the balance. Those two have teamed up for that 
uh, a number of times over the last couple of seasons. Danny Jansen's situation is very solid right now. You feel really good about what he gives you on a consistent basis. And right now he's easy shoe in the guy you want um, in the lineup as much as possible. The thing with Alejandro Kirk is defensively, he's still pretty effective. Maybe he's not quite as good as he was last year, but his framing is still very good. A lot of his defensive metrics are solid, but offensively, as the Blue Jays are currently built, especially against left-handed pitching, and I think this is kind of a big reason why they've struggled, um, or part of the reason that they've struggled. A lot of guys just haven't hit against lefties. Alejandro Kirk has a 610 OPS this season, and he just hasn't been good since the month of April. And uh, you look at his numbers, he's hitting under 200 against lefties. He doesn't have a home run against them. He's got a 516 OPS. And if Jansen is catching, then Kirk is your DH. And to have an, a DH with an OPS of about 600 is just not, it's not good enough. It's just, it really handicaps you. And that's why you're seeing the Blue Jays link to Nelson Cruz. And right now, Nelson Cruz would be a better option uh, against left-handed pitching than Alejandro Kirk. And that's not really saying much because I don't know how much, if anything, Nelson Cruz has left in the tank. But this just really further hammers home the point that I feel like we've talked about the last couple of weeks, that the Blue Jays just need to address their issues against left-handed pitching. And um, whether that's a Tommy Pham or somebody like that, there are going to be players out there on the market. That's where you look for a rental that's not going to cost you a ton, that can DH against lefties. Maybe a situation where they play the outfield as well uh, for a Dalton Varsho, and then maybe you swap it out when a righty comes in and you get Varsho's glove in there. That sort of thing just gives you more versatility and more flexibility in, in all situations. Because you just can't wait for Kirk to figure it out. Like uh, I was looking at the numbers by month, and a lot of people have tweeted me when I when I put out his OPS by month uh, over the past two years, and he only has three months, four months with an OPS of seven hundred or better. May and June last year he was amazing, nine eighty four, and an OPS of almost eleven 1, hundred in June when he was just on fire. This year. You look at progressively, it was 836 in April, 563 in May, 615 in June, and entering play on Sunday, it was 232 in July. And I know he had that hand issue, and maybe that's somewhat of a culprit, but he's hitting the ball on the ground so much. And when he hits the ball on the ground, it's an automatic out. And if there's a man on first, it's an automatic double play. And that's just such a disadvantageous spot to be in. And it's why... You know, until he figures out a way, he's got a career low barrel percentage of four and a half percent. It was seven percent last year. It was eleven percent the year before. His ground ball rates fifty one percent. It was high last year, but you know, like his line drive rate is is about the same. He's just his hard hit rate has completely evaporated to twenty five percent, and he's hitting the ball soft in terms of you know, just like a lot of these soft ground or soft little line drives um, more than he has at any point in in his career. So there's a lot of disconcerting trends in his profile. And I just don't think you can continue hoping that he's going to figure it out. Like, I think you try and bring in somebody more impactful to DH and he catches his de- designated pitchers because he clearly you know has a good rapport and provides value that way. 
and he plays a couple of times a week. I, I just don't think that it's productive right now to just be like, well, we're going to have both these catchers in. And then, you know, you risk with the roster machinations later in, in the game. It can be a little bit tricky. Uh, it's just, it's not working right now. And like, I just see a situation that you just can't continue uh, trotting it out uh, moving forward. So I think that that is the number one area of need for the Blue Jays. And it's a big reason that that they've struggled this year. Kirk was looked at as being a really important piece of the puzzle in the lineup. You know, if you were batting him sixth or even in the bottom third, that could provide a real impact and he just hasn't been able to do that and I, it, it, you know we'll see what happens but maybe it's time we start figuring out you know what the ceiling is with him you know do we change our expectations moving forward perhaps like i'm not throwing out what he's accomplished to this point like he's been above average as a catcher overall no question he had a great year last year but you know, it, offensively, it just hasn't materialized uh, to the point that we all anticipated after he had a really strong season last year. You know, he ran out of gas, um, and this year he just hasn't found it at any point outside of April. So uh, I think that's probably, like I said, the area that I would look at the most. And I, I did want to talk about the bullpen. We did get some conversation about it last week and they were excellent again all week or I guess the three games against uh, the Diamondbacks they continually just allow the team a chance in these close games to keep the game close to break a game open when you have it tied or you're up by one and it's deep it's versatile there's a, a lot of different guys that you feel right now pretty comfortable about throwing out in a bunch of different situations and like Jimmy Garcia had a good weekend. I know that he allowed a couple of hits on Saturday, but he found a way uh, he allowed a hit on Sunday, but clean inning. And you look at his last 15, 20 games, it's been really good. And he's back in a situation where you're okay using him in most spots. He's not going to be one of your highest leverage relievers. He's got a 1.31 whip over his last 15 games. He's allowed 16 hits in 13 innings, 16 strikeouts is really good. Only one walk that's been uh, uh, enabled him, I would say to limit damage, but like to have him as one of the guys that you can throw out and isn't at the top of the food chain, the way that he was last year is a testament to some of the other guys really emerging in Nate Pearson. We saw Trevor Richards, Walked a couple of guys, but uh, struck out a couple of guys on on Sunday back in a traditional bullpen role, which I think we all knew was was really going to be important for this bullpen. Jay Jackson had a good uh, outing. Tim Mesa gets the one out, makes a really good play on a Corbin Carroll bunt, really athletic play. His numbers continue to be excellent. Uh, we know what Swanson gives you. We know what Romano gives you. Hopefully that back issue doesn't linger too much and I think that the Blue Jays probably add another reliever but I don't know if it's a guarantee I would still be surprised if they didn't 
but I think that, you know, this bullpen has been pretty good. I, I understand that like, there's not a lot that you can look at and say, oh, well, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. This hasn't been good. There's no way this is going to be sustainable. What they've done to this point has been really good. And there's not any fraudulent stuff. Uh, it's they've earned every bit of the success they've had as a unit, as a, as a group, the bullpen so far this year. If you ask me, you know, in the postseason, do I still feel great about it? My honest answer would probably be I still feel a little bit squeamish about it. I don't know if I'm uh, just uh, overly worried because I've been burned in the past. You think back to last year, but they're better in terms of swing and miss. They have more strikeouts this year. Nate Pearson's been a huge game changer uh, for this bullpen. He had two real stinkers in the middle of June when things were rough. You remember that Marlin series, but other than that, he has been lights out and exactly what you would want in a seventh or eighth inning guy. You know, he comes in, he generally speaking, throws a lot of strikes. He fills up the zone. Uh, there aren't that many deep counts. He's not giving up uh, a tremendous amount of hard contacts. He's been really good. His last seven appearances, he's got a zero ERA, a zero six nine whip, eight strikeouts and eight and two thirds. He's been bordering on dominant and at times dominant. And that's a huge game changer for a bullpen that was really looking for that level of impact. And we'll see what happens with Chad Green. Is he your deadline pickup of sorts? Perhaps. I don't know if I necessarily feel great about a pitcher coming off of a serious injury in a new organization. Are you throwing him? What situation? Like he's got to get his feet wet. Is he working his way into leverage over some of the other guys that you have? I think they'd have to falter for that to happen. But he could certainly emerge. He's had the track record and the stuff to do it. But I still think if you're looking to improve the bullpen, you would look beyond just Chad Green. Chad Green would be great, but you can never have um, too many options out of the bullpen. Even though like when push comes to shove, if you make the playoffs, you're not emptying the tank, generally speaking, um, with the way that the schedule is built you're relying on a couple of guys out of that bullpen. You think back to the Astros last year when they won the world series, some of their bullpen horses, let's call them. They had a few guys that they really heavily leaned on uh, in, in those games. You think about Neris, Montero, Presley, Brian Abreu, I would say would be the guys that you've like all those guys, those three guys, Montero, Abreu, Presley, all appeared in 10 games, Neris in eight. Ryan Stanek appeared in four. Like they basically used a, a four-man bullpen. And I think that that's what it's going to be. And we'll see what happens over, over the stretch. But I'm okay with bringing in another piece and you, you let the chips fall where they may in August and September. And whoever is emerged or the last few guys standing that you feel the best about on October the 1st, assuming you're in the postseason, then those are the guys that you start the, the wild card series. Or if you're fortunate enough um, to make it to the division series, those are the guys that you really lean on the most. Like, I don't think you're going to be seeing six 
seven guys regularly getting work in the bullpen. Um, I think it's going to end up being four, maybe five, but really four that you focus in on. And Blue Jays have plenty of options already. Um, but I think that it never hurts to see what else is out there and see if you can bring another arm into the mix that gives you another potential option uh, as the games get more important. It, like I said, it's, it, it wouldn't be my top, top priority. It's probably the, like around starting pitching way behind uh, a righty bat that can ideally play some outfield and, and do some damage against left-handed pitching. I, I did write a trade deadline preview that's going to be coming out on Monday on the score. So uh, I'll be tweeting that out. You can check it out, obviously. And I, I outlined some targets and some needs and that sort of thing. So uh, hopefully, you know, I, I'm always looking for feedback. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of players that I missed that uh, people will let me know about, but I, you know, I, I couldn't cover every single one because I didn't want to make anyone read for 30 minutes, but I, I tried to cover uh, as many options a- as I could. And like, we'll see what happens. The Jays are in a really fascinating position where, you know, they're going to have to get really creative or it's not going to be a conventional deadline. Like they're going to have to make some choices on some prospects that maybe they weren't planning on dealing, that they're more okay with the possibility of trading, or maybe there's some non-negotiables. We'll see who's available and who's not available. There's a decent chance that they make a deal that we don't see coming like the Whitmerfield trade last year. Um, I wouldn't surprise me at all uh, if they pull, I wouldn't call it a rabbit out of their hat, but they just, they swerve and you're expecting player X, Y, or Z, and they go with you know player R, something like that, that has maybe a, a year or two or three uh, of additional control, team control that fits their their modus operandi uh, a little bit more than rentals. I think if you're talking about a a reliever or a starting pitcher to mop up some innings, to be a swing guy depth option, maybe that's more of the rental market. If you're looking for a position player, maybe that's more of the controllable market, but who knows with this front office, like they, we saw what they did last year with some of the deals, Merrifield pop and bass, both controllable, Obviously, whatever happened, we know what happened with Bass. Um, but at the time, they made deals for players that would help them beyond just last season. And I could certainly see a situation. Like I, I like Aaron Bummer from the White Sox. I know the Blue Jays touched him up a couple of weeks ago, but he has a proven track record of success. A lot of strikeouts, uh, funky arm angle. It's been bad this year, but a lot of his underlying numbers are very good, and he's still striking out batters at a pretty prodigious clip. The issue with him is he does have control, but it's $5.5 million, and then he's got a couple of club options for the following two years at over $7 million. I don't know if I love that, being locked in at $5.5 million if he doesn't figure it out, but he'd make a lot of sense as a second lefty to have alongside Mesa, another option. And, you know, if it goes well, then you have somebody that has been a solid reliever at the major league level on a number of different occasions. 
uh, under team control for as many as three years. So maybe that could be something that they look at. But I would say with the Blue Jays at the deadline, as always, expect uh, the unexpected. All right. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, We'll hope for Kevin Gosman to come back. Blue Jays have won eight of nine. They sweep the Diamondbacks. Things are good right now. They got a cushion in the wild card. They're starting to maybe tiptoe a little bit on the Rays. They got games against the Rays left. You know, they continue to just cave in teams that aren't in the American League East. And then we know what the story has been so far with seven and 20 uh, against the American League East. But right now, you look at the upcoming schedule. They're not seeing any division teams for the next little while. They've got the Padres who dropped the last three games of that series against the the um, Phillies. I guess you do actually have. You've got uh, at the end of the month, you've got the, the Orioles. You look at the upcoming schedule. It's, it's not easy. The Padres. Then you've got Seattle. House of Horrors, historically for the Blue Jays. All those West Coast fans all excited to go. And the Blue Jays usually shit the bed. Hopefully that's not the case. Dodgers is going to be tough. Angels coming. No Trout. Maybe no Otani. We'll see. It'll be a couple of days before the deadline's possible. Then you've got the Orioles for four uh, at the beginning of August. Then the Red Sox at Fenway. And then, you know, the schedule loosens up with sort of the Guardians always play the Blue Jays tough. Cubs. Like they, they're going to have to continue playing strong baseball, but for the next uh, two weeks, they don't see any teams in the division. And uh, so far this season, that's been a good thing because they have a really good record against anyone that isn't in the American League East. So uh, a few interesting weeks ahead with the deadline coming up. We'll see what the Blue Jays uh, maybe look to do. If anything gets done uh, before that, I would expect probably not much until the 31st of the 1st. You know, teams, for the most part, you know, like to wait until the last minute, see if the prices can be really high. And then if it doesn't work out, then you're at the deadline and maybe you're making deals uh, for less than you ant- initially anticipated if you're a seller. So uh, I think a lot is still to be determined in some situations about which players could stay, which players could go. You look at teams like the Padres and Mets. You know, they're probably sellers right now, but considering their expectations, if they have a good couple weeks. Does that change? Uh, a lot of uncertainty in that regard. So a lot to follow, uh, as always. Appreciate uh, the interaction, as always, at DFA underscore pod, at Goldberg 12 is where you can find me. And uh, as always, appreciate, like, review, rate, subscribe, designated for assignment, wherever you find your podcasts. We'll be back next week. I'm Josh Goldberg. Thanks, as always, for listening to Designated for Assignment.